0: Hey everyone, welcome to our very first episode of Crime Family. For this podcast, we're keeping it all in the family. We're three siblings who share a love for true crime, and we're going to be discussing our favorite true crime cases that involve crimes against family members and loved ones. Thanks for joining us. Our first case is a really complex and interesting one. It's the Vallow Daybell case, and it has everything from murder and missing kids to talk of a religious cult and doomsday obsessions. With all that being said, let's get started. Since this case is so complicated, we chose to split it up and we each researched different sections. AJ is going to start it off with the background of how it all got started, and then I'm going to talk about some of the relationships involved. Steph will then finish it off talking about the findings and get us up to date with the trial. Here we go
1: all right so i'll take it away and i will be talking mostly about the initial investigation and kind of what got it all started so it all begins on november 26th of 2019 when Kay Woodcock, she hadn't seen her grandson JJ in a few months, and she was getting a little bit concerned about his well-being, so she had called the police and requested that they do a welfare check at the home of Lori Fallow, which is uh, JJ's adoptive mother. Uh, she has custody of him, and so she just wanted the police to go over there and make sure everything was okay. So the police go and they do this welfare check, and their initial visit with Lori. There is actually um, some audio of the police body cam uh, footage. So we're going to play a little bit of that audio for you. It was initially about a twelve-minute clip, but uh, I've edited it down to about a four or five minutes, and it's a very interesting piece of audio. So we'll play that for you, and then we'll come back and discuss.
2: Hi, Hi. you Lori. Lori, I'm Lieutenant Ball, Police Department. How are you? You got a minute? Mm-hmm. You all alone, or
3: that help? Uh, my brother's here.
2: Okay. Hello. This is Detective Scabs. Hello. So, we're here. Yeah, this
3: is a big mess. I just talked to the guy on the phone.
2: And what did he ask you?
3: He was just saying that he wanted to do a well check on JJ.
2: So, JJ would be where?
3: He's in Arizona.
2: Who, who's he with in Arizona?
3: He's with one of my friends in Arizona.
2: Oh. That Who's the friend true. he's with? My friend Melanie.
3: Her Melanie. son has autism. Her name is Melanie Gibb. I gave him all the information on the
2: phone. Okay, so he can call him? Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, what is all this?
2: We're, we're a little concerned because, well, the officers who were here earlier yeah. were checking and they got a bad vibe that like something was going on here because uh, nobody knew anything about a child. They weren't talking.
3: It's because a lot of stuff has gone on. If you want on, no, it's a lot of stuff. So.
4: Well, that's why we're concerned, because very, it just was kind of weird.
3: It is very weird. I've had to move around a lot. One of my brothers is trying to kill me. Not the brother that lives here, obviously. He's kind of my protector. <laughs> my other brothers that was in with my husband, who was trying to kill me for my $200 life insurance. Now, what? Well, <laughs> So a lot of stuff has gone on in this last year. It's been a horrible year for us. I've had to move around. And so I was going to move back to Arizona, put my son back into the school there because I tried to put him in school here, public school at Kennedy. Okay. He went for two months. We tried it, but he had such a hard time. Now, the person who called is my sister-in-law, but she's his natural grandmother. He's adopted by us. Okay, so her son who's a drug addict, okay. had a baby with a girl who's a drug addict, and they took him from, you know, CPS took him. Okay. Gave him to the grandmother. She came and got him, and then she wanted us to adopt him, which we did. And we loved By him. And to- we My about? husband and I, who died earlier this year. Okay. He passed away. Since he so passed away, she's been trying to fight me for him and being really horrible to me. and that kind of
5: stuff. The
3: she's kind of the paternal friend
5: okay thank you that's what i mean the paternal grandmother (laughs) he
3: has autism and adhd he has he doesn't really talk to people like he's he's very special needs so i had him in a special needs school there she was trying to so what happened was my husband who we were married for 15 years and had raised all these five kids together switched his life insurance policy to her right to, <laughs> to his sister okay. who got a million dollars when he died and we got nothing for me to raise jj and all the kids got nothing and everybody got nothing she got a million dollars so i knew she was going to try to sue me for him or JJ? yeah because she now has this million dollars so she can hire people to help and I have nothing. But
5: you have legal custody.
3: He's my son. I adopted him. two years. We had him from the time he was eight months Mm -hmm. old, till two years old. So she does nothing who wants to cause me trouble. So I don't tell people the truth about where we are and what we're doing because of those reasons. So I look like a suspect but I am not a good person. Raised all of my kids. I've done everything that I'm supposed to do in life. But everyone is causing me trouble right now. So...
5: And our only concern in this whole thing yeah, is, the, is the child. I got it. And and so that's that's where we're at on the. Uh, so. And then so
3: we I were just a little her.
5: weirded out when, you know. And and I understand now that we've heard your side of the story.
3: It's awful. They just, I feel like I'm being tracked all the time. I'm like, why are police coming to my well, door? What they they out, I did I do? They said they
2: were out visiting with two guys. And I assuming who was, one's your brother.
3: Who was, yeah.
2: Who was the other one? The other guy they were visiting with. Two, well, we had two detectives over here trying to looking for you uh, a little while ago.
3: Oh, because I was at the store
2: and they ran into well, probably one of your brothers, my in the brother back
3: and his friend, probably. Uh,
2: who's We've been that? moving? Chad, Chad from around here, mm-hmm.
3: what's his last name? There you go. Okay, all right, yeah, it's just a mess that just constantly. Causing me trouble. Joel? Uh-huh. Be- Chad
2: DeBell. Chad the D-A-Y-B-E-L-L? Mm-hmm. He's an author. Doesn't he live, like, out in the... Isn't that the Chad DeBell that... Uh, I think his wife passed away recently.
3: Is that him?
4: I... I don't know.
2: But he is Chad DeBell. D-A-Y-B-E-L. but
5: it sounds familiar as
2: an I offer. Think uh, I, know, I think I know one is he's got a couple of daughters uh, he is? has
3: lots of kids yeah.
1: so as you can probably tell some red flags kind of right off the bat or I know for me um, at least um, what do you guys think Katie
0: to me she just sounds so defensive when this really isn't a time to be defensive. I mean, he's questioning about where her kids are, and she's just getting very, you know, rattled about it.
6: Yeah, I agree as well. I feel like she's just rambling on about other things that aren't really pertaining to her to her child that is, is missing, and she just is talking about random other life things that happened. Doesn't really seem relevant to the police.
1: Yeah, so... Um, I was suspicious right off the bat hearing that. Um, she's kind of rambling on and she's going on all these different tangents about her entire you know family history instead of just addressing the main reason why the police are there. Um, which is why, as you can hear in the audio, they're like, our only concern is where JJ is. So they're trying to keep her on track and she keeps going all over the place. But as you heard, she um, did say that JJ was with a friend of hers, Melanie Gibb, in Arizona. So this this leads the police to Melanie Gibb, and they do call her. She tells them that JJ is not with her. She actually hasn't seen JJ in months she actually tells him that the last time that she saw JJ was actually on the night of September 22nd so uh, Melanie and her partner were visiting Lori and her partner Chad and the four of them were recording um, an episode of their podcast so they had a religious podcast and it was in the middle of this recording when Lori's brother Alex comes into the house and he's carrying JJ Uh, he says JJ is sleeping um, so he just goes into Lori's room and puts JJ down for the night and then the next morning when um, they all wake up, uh, JJ's no, nowhere to be found. He's not in the home. They can't hear him. And, you know, a little bit of context he was a little bit rambunctious and had a lot of energy. So, you know, her waking up and not hearing him immediately was definitely a red flag for her. And when she questioned about where JJ was, uh, Lori had just said that he was being very out of control and he was climbing up on all the cupboards and everything like that so she had alex just take him away for the day and so that was the last time that she actually saw jj and then laurie never really said much else about him after that and actually melanie does come forward about a week after the police initially make contact with her and she says that laurie and chad had asked her to lie to the police um they told her not to tell the police where jj was and then laurie had said to say that she was at Frozen 2, seeing Frozen 2 um, at the theater, and she just asked Melanie to take some photos of random kids to make it seem like she was around a lot of kids. So Melanie was, you know, upfront, and she said, I'm not going to lie for you. And of course, she did tell the police the truth. And this is what made the police very suspicious, because obviously, if there's no foul play involved, um, if everything's on the up and up, why wouldn't she just be honest about where her kids are instead of telling them that he's with Melanie when obviously she knows that he's not um so of course the police this leads the police back to uh Lori's home and they go back on November 27th and they find Lori and Chad both gone and the house is abandoned so this kind of leads to a manhunt for the couple and this is what really sets everything sort of into motion and during this initial investigation phase this is when the police find out that JJ's older sister Tylee Ryan is also missing now she was last seen even before JJ was last seen. Her last known whereabouts were on September 9th at Yellowstone National Park. So Tylee, JJ, Lori, and Lori's brother Alex, they had all went to Yellowstone National Park for the day. Um, And cell phone records of Alex Cox show that the family left around 6.45 that night to drive back to Rexburg, Idaho. So I actually mapped it out. And Yellowstone National Park is about a 90-minute drive from Rexburg. So they drive the 90 minutes back to Rexburg and they track his Cell phone activity for that night, and they find that he was actually at Lori's home that night, well into the night. So they arrived probably around 8 30 back in Rexburg, and he was in her home until about three three o'clock the next morning. Now, Lori and Alex lived in the same complex, so they did live very close, but the cellular activity was in Lori's apartment versus his own. And then in the next morning, after that, his cell phone records have him at the property of Chad Daybell. So he was actually there for Couple of hours, and after he leaves uh, Chad Daybell's property that day, they also know notice that Chad Daybell has sent a text to his then wife Tammy Daybell, and he was explaining to her that he had an eventful morning and he shot a raccoon in their backyard, and then had to bury the raccoon in the couple's pet cemetery so they had a big big property and a lot of their any household pets that would die um they would bury them in this pet cemetery so he was just explaining why there was this new grave in their pet cemetery and tammy didn't seem alarmed by this she was just saying oh like she was just kind of going along with it and saying oh wow it sounds like you had an eventful morning so no no red flags went off for her at least initially so We have these kids who are going missing within weeks of each other. You know, first Tylee on September 9th and then JJ on September 22nd. And it's also interesting to note that On September 23rd, which is the same morning that Melanie said she woke up and and JJ wasn't anywhere to be found, Alex Cox, they track his cell phone activity, and he again is at the property of Chad Daybell on that morning as well. Um, And he's there for about 17 minutes on that day. In the month of September, you have those kids going missing. And then on October 1st, which is about a week after JJ's was last seen, Lori rents a storage locker near the home. And surveillance video of the storage locker has... Uh, lori chad and her brother alex all visiting the storage locker multiple times um throughout the month of october and into november so they're taking stuff out of the locker putting things in and the locker is later found to have a lot of children's belongings in it so a lot of her kids belongings are in this storage locker so very suspicious when you look at all of these events sort of lined up next to each other it is very suspicious and lori had told some people like her friends and some other family members, that Tylee was attending a university in Idaho, Brigham Young University, and that she was away at school, which is why, you know, no one would really necessarily think anything of it. She's off at school in September, so when they're not seeing her day to day like they did in the summer, they're not necessarily putting anything together as to why she's nowhere to be found. So in their minds, it all lined up. And Lori was very kind of strategic about what she told certain people and how she sort of explained the, the whereabouts of Tylee around that time. And also around, while all of this was happening, uh, Tylie's brother Colby, who was older than her, he was getting a little bit suspicious because he hadn't heard from Tylee, and he was noticing that her text messages were quite quite strange. She was being very short with him, and she wouldn't. he could never get her on the phone. Uh, she was always avoidant, coming up with an excuse as to why she couldn't talk, to him and he actually received two Venmo payments uh, in the month of October from Tylee's account. Um, now it's probably very likely, likely that it wasn't actually Tylee sending this money or sending these texts. It was very possibly someone impersonating her um, in order to avoid any suspicion because he noticed right away that the text was just the language she was using was just very, very different than would it would normally be. And he was just, you know, his success went off and he just felt that something was off but he didn't really have enough information at that time i guess to really like he didn't want to go to the police or anything at that time because he didn't really have anything like concrete to back it up with he just knew that something seemed off and now i do want to talk a little bit about the relationship between chad and laurie because it is very important um to to the case and so chad and laurie at the time of the disappearances they were Partners, and they had actually met a year prior in the in the fall of 2018. And Chad was actually a prolific author. He had written about 27 books, um, and they were all religious-based. So he had written a bunch of non fiction books about his earlier life, his near-death experiences that he said that he had, also things about his life as a cop that he had, and he was also a grave digger in his earlier years, uh, which is an interesting piece of information, but. He was quite well-known like in the religious community and Lori was a member of the Latter-day Saints Church. So she was very religious as well as her friend Melanie Gibb. And they were actually attending a religious event in the fall of 2018 where Chad was in attendance. And this is when Lori and Chad first met uh, for the first time. But she was, like I said, she was very well aware of him prior. According to an interview that Melanie Gibb did with Nate Eaton of Dateline, uh, she said that Lori was quite smitten with Chad very very quickly um it's like she had been waiting for this moment to finally meet him because she had you know known so much about his work and she was just excited to meet him for the first time right after they initially met it was kind of a whirlwind and they were in the months after that uh is when things started to go a little bit awry especially for laurie so like i said laurie was religious prior but after meeting chad her religious beliefs sort of escalated and they came a little bit darker um, in the winter of 2019 so a couple of months after she and chad met Lori disappeared for 58 days she just went off the grid nobody really knew knows where she went to this day no one really knows where she was but it's very likely that she was with chad um, and the kids were with other guardians so no one was worried about where the kids were because they were accounted for but Lori herself was just mia and then she shows up 58 days later and doesn't really explain to anyone where she was and what she was doing at that time now a big part of the beliefs that chad and laurie had was about doomsday so they believed that the end of the world was quickly approaching and they also believed that this was going to coincide with the second coming of christ and laurie specifically uh, she believed that she was tasked with leading the selected 144,000 into the new world after the apocalypse and she felt that she was kind of the spiritual leader in order to help people do that um and chad was very vocal about the power that he believes he had he could speak to spirits and he was in communication with um a lot of spirits and stuff like that and he had actually according to melanie lori had told had told her that chad had built a portal for Lori in her closet so whenever she wanted to communicate with chad when he wasn't physically there she could go into the portal and she could communicate with him from there and she could also you know communicate with certain spirits there and according to melanie the spirits would tell her like how many how many evil people were in the world and who to kind of and tasked her with getting rid of the evil people that were in the world and also around the same time she also believed that her children had become zombies so she had voiced to melanie shortly before the kids went missing that she believed that jj had turned into a zombie and she brought this up to melanie who obviously she was kind of taken aback by it but she just said that Lori was trying to put doubt into her mind about jj and trying to convince her that there was something off in his behavior and she really did believe that he had become overtaken by a zombie she was very alarmed by that um so as you can tell these these beliefs that they had were very very strange and melanie was saying that like Lori was always religious but it wasn't until after meeting chad that it was kind of took that next step and became kind of darker like all of the zombie stuff wasn't really until after she had met chad and it really started to escalate around in like mid-2019 leading up into the fall when the kids go missing Um, Do you guys have any thoughts about this? Like what their beliefs were?
6: Um, Yeah, I find it really a really interesting um, belief. I've never actually really heard of it. So um, to me, it seems quite a bizarre situation. And the events are very, just very weird to me.
1: Yeah. So as you can tell, just very odd and when you kind of put that into context with all of the other sort of strange events that were happening around um, that time with the kids and Lori's behavior, there is a lot of red flags that are coming up all over the place. And um, so that was a little bit of background on Chad and Lori's relationship. And so it was only a year between when they first met and when the kids go missing. And it was a kind of a whirlwind year because that was when Lori and Chad sort of were really, really adamant about these beliefs and really believed And bought into it and it kind of went to an extreme in many ways. So Katie can take us from here.
0: Okay so since there are so many suspicious occurrences and deaths that take place it's really hard to kind of keep track of everyone and the timelines in which everything happens leading up to the disappearances of Tylee and JJ. So I just want to go back a bit and talk about some of the backgrounds of the people involved. So we have Joseph Ryan or Joe who is Tylie's father and he is Lori's third husband and he married Lori in 2001 and they divorced in 2005. And there is Charles Vallow who is Lori's fourth husband and they were married from 2006 to 2019. I'm actually going to start with Alex Cox who is one of Lori's brothers Um, And as we know, he has an interesting role in all of this, as AJ kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, When you listen to that body cam audio that we sampled, you'll hear Lori reveal that Alex is her protector. And so Alex was living in Arizona in 2007. And one day he abruptly just left and went to Texas to take care of some family affairs. So he randomly just got up and went. And he ended up tasing Joseph Ryan and threatening to kill him in 2008 he actually did plead guilty to second-degree aggravated assault and he was sentenced to 90 days in jail for this assault on joe apparently though even while he was in jail he was still like super focused on joe and he writes multiple letters to one of his friends named tracy and he writes things in these letters like quote do me a favor call janice ask her to put joe's address on a postcard and his license plate i think it will be popular here end quote and in another letter he writes quote, p.s can you get a picture from Lori of one of her ex-husbands and send it to me some of the guys would like to hang out with him end quote so he seems super adamant about harming joe and he's not afraid to show it but this of course leads a lot of people and me as well to think, you know, what were his motivations and why did he have it out so bad for Joe? Well, there is a recording that surfaces that com released, and apparently it's from Joe's sister Annie, and it definitely sheds some light on the situation. The recording seems to be um, of some sort of like informal religious discussion that Lori is having with her friends. This recording is from October of 2018 but she's talking about her past and everything that she's been through. The whole thing is about 40 minutes long but pretty early into it Lori starts talking about her ex-husband. So at that time she would have been married to Charles Fallow and Joe would have been her ex. So you can hear on the tape um, and just brace yourself that she claims she was married to someone very awful who raped her children and when they divorced that he joined the church And everyone thought he was wonderful, and he tried to win everybody over. And she claims that he said horrible things about her in court just to turn everyone against her. She says that she moved from Texas to get away from him, and he followed her just to torture her. But he really just wanted custody of their three-year-old daughter, which would have been Tylee. And then from the recording, you hear, quote... I was going to murder him. I was going to kill him like the scriptures say, just to stop the pain and to stop him coming after me and to stop him coming after my children." She goes on to say that at this point in her life, she really had nothing to lose. So if her brother Alex was her protector, as she said, and he believed all of this that she was telling him, that definitely kind of gives a motive for him wanting to kill Joe. And this custody battle that she speaks of lasted for 12 years until he died of an apparent heart attack in 2018. His death was originally ruled um, as natural causes, but police have since conducted further investigation into this due to the circumstances surrounding this case. And it took apparently um, weeks for Lori to inform Joe's family of his death. So, at the time of Joe's death, which was on April 3rd of 2018, Lori was married to Charles. And just a few months after Joe's death is when Lori meets Chad. Some sources say it was October, some say December, but it was around that time of the same year, 2018. And it's shortly after that that Lori goes on her little 58 day hiatus where she she disappears and nobody knows where she went. And it's around this time that Charles is definitely sensing some really odd behavior, you know, aside from her, like abandoning her family for two months. This is when he kind of tries to protect himself and his family from Lori. So at the end of January, 2019, he really has this need to protect his family and protect himself from Lori. And he petitions to the police for an involuntary hold of Lori. And they do take her in for an interview and an evaluation. But police say that even though she goes willingly, she is released hours later. And Melanie Gibb does mention this in her interview with a Dateline. And a couple days later, he files for a protection order on behalf of JJ and Tylee to keep Lori away from JJ, to keep her away from JJ's school and their home. Things are getting pretty scary, and Lori allegedly claims that Charles has been replaced by a man named Nick Schneider. Melanie also talks about this in her interview, and this is where all the zombie talk comes in. According to Lori, Charles is now a zombie, and Nick Schneider has replaced his soul. So it's obvious to see why Charles is concerned and, you know, really trying to do whatever he can to keep Lori away from himself and his kids. Um, so, going back to this evaluation um, briefly that I had just talked about, um, it sticks out to me that Laurie, obviously, she hid a lot of things from the police when she was talking to them. I mean, if she was in a full-on like psychosis, she likely wouldn't have the ability to differentiate what was happening in her head and what was real. And so, I feel like a lot of the zombie information and the radical re- religious beliefs would come out during this. Um, But it seems like she, she made a conscious effort to hide this from the police. And so, I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but I feel like that would take, you know, some planning and thinking on her part. Do you guys have any comments at this point?
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting that during that evaluation, she is, you know, knowingly withholding information that she knows would be troublesome to the police or to the person who's interviewing her. So if... You know in the future or anything there we're going to be trying to build this sort of you know not mentally capable to stand trial because she was had some uh, mental health issues or something like that like this kind of shows that it she was to a degree calculated because she knows to withhold certain information that she knows would not be would not sound good
0: yeah so i definitely feel the same that she is trying to hide things purposely from the cops So at this point, Charles files for divorce in February and he files for sole custody of JJ. And this feels like deja vu talking about this. She went through the same thing with Joe, fighting for custody with him up until he died. And in some of the papers that Charles filed, he claims that Lori said she would murder him if he got in the way of her preparing for God's second coming in July of 2020. And I'm going to play a couple of clips um, of Charles's conversation with the police
2: so what makes her a danger to herself and she's to others threaten me murder me kill me she threatened to murder you yes you don't know if she poses a threat to your children
3: i don't know what she's gonna do with them i don't know if she's gonna flee with them she's gonna hurt them
0: and so as you can hear um charles obviously sees that something has shifted in lori and he reveals some scary revelations that he has via a text to a friend in march 2019 he allegedly texts quote Things have changed so dramatically in the past six months, end quote. Um, And in another text, he says, quote, something snapped. It's so unbelievable and scary, end quote. Looking at how all this unraveled, it just seems really tragic to think about what Charles and the kids were going through during all this. And the foresight that Charles had, like he knew he had to prepare for the worst. And it was around this time that he filed for divorce that he discovered that the password for his life insurance account had been changed. So Charles had a a million dollar life insurance policy and Lori knew about it. And Fox 10 Phoenix News posted an email that he had sent to the life insurance company. And I'm just going to read an excerpt from it. So, quote, I was notified by the insurance company that a password was placed on the account on 220. They are doing an investigation and will pull the voice recordings. I assure you it was Lori. I will update you with the findings. I'm locked out of my own life policy until further notice. If anything should happen to me before I get all this fixed, my beneficiary is Ethel Kathleen Woodcock. She will use it to take care of JJ. I want nothing to go to Lori or any member of her family, end quote. And Lori mentions this to the police when they question her about JJ, and I think it was a surprise to her that his life insurance policy had been changed because she allegedly had tried to cash out on this life insurance policy shortly after he died just to find out that she was no longer the beneficiary. So it seems like Charles definitely knew what was coming, and tragically, he was shot by Alex Cox on July 11th, 2019, in Chandler, Arizona. Charles had come to JJ's house to pick him up for school, and Alex, who claimed self defense, had uh, no charges laid against him. Um, I'm going to play the 911 tape.
4: 911, where is your emergency? It's at uh, 5531 South Four Peaks. I think it's Four Peaks Lane. I'm not sure. I'm sorry, you said you don't know the direction. I don't know the the street name. If it's a lane or a court. It's five five three one east, though. Uh, yeah, or south. south. South Four Peaks. Five five three one south Four Peaks in Chandler. Is that right? Yes. You need yes. police or paramedics? Uh, both. I mean, police and an ambulance. What's the emergency there? Uh, there's a I got in a fight with my brother-in-law, and I shot him in self-defense. Okay, let me get the medics on the phone. And is he hurt, or is he alive, or? Yeah, there's blood. He's he's not moving. How long ago did this happen? Uh, a couple of minutes.
5: Fire department, what is the address of the emergency?
4: 5531 South Four Peaks.
5: And is that a house in Chandler?
4: Uh, I, I shot my brother-in-law.
5: Okay, what part of his body is injured? Uh, in the chest. I'm sorry, where? In the chest. Okay, is he awake and responsive or unconscious? Unconscious. Okay, is he breathing? I can't tell. Okay, are you wanting, are you willing to go over to him and check? Sure. Okay, do you just let me know if you see his chest going up and down? How old is he?
4: It's not moving, he's 60.
5: Okay, and are you wanting to start CPR?
4: No, I don't know how to do that.
5: I can walk you through it.
4: Okay.
5: So what I want you to do is you're gonna put one hand in the center of his chest. Yep. The other hand's gonna go right on top of it. Okay. You're gonna interlock your fingers, keeping your arms straight, and you're gonna press down hard and fast into his chest. You're gonna go okay. two inches down and fairly quickly, one. We're gonna stage for you. Okay,
4: thank you. They just keep going with those compressions. Petey, did you have any other questions? Yes. What's your name, sir? My name is Alex. Last name is Cox. See you And where are you in the house now? Uh, in the living room. And where is the gun? Uh, it's in the bedroom. Who else is there in the house with you? Uh, just me his name, your brother-in-law? Charles Vallow.
5: How long ago did this occur? Did it just happen?
4: Yeah, maybe five minutes before I called.
0: So as you can hear, he's super calm and matter-of-fact. It seems suspicious, but maybe he's just really calm in stressful situations. He claims that no one else was at home, but we find out later that Lori, JJ, and Tylie were all in the home when this happened and after the shooting Lori seems really cheery even though she allegedly had to walk past his body to get out of the house. She takes JJ to school and then hours later she has a pool party. She texts Charles's sons the next day to let them know that their dad has died and she's super cagey about the details they text her quote Lori what the fuck happened you can't just tell us our dad died and disappear you're not too busy should just let us know he died and then disappear end quote she said that she needed to wait for the medical examiner for details even though she clearly knows what happened and all the text exchanges go on for days and she even tells some people that he committed suicide so here's a clip of the body cam footage from the police outside of her house when they're questioning Lori about the shooting. And following that um, is a police officer talking to the sheriff um, about the situation. So take a listen.
2: Does your
3: husband live here or no? No, oh.
5: in Houston. Gotcha.
3: We just moved here. In
5: gotcha. How long have you guys lived here? Sorry? How long have you lived here?
3: Like
5: three weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, okay. That's
3: why the neighbors person on the Gotcha. <laughs> like... Neighbor, sorry. <laughs> Are you working at all? Uh, no.
5: Okay. And, uh, you're still about 5'6",
2: 120? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wife, husband got into a verbal argument. Brother steps in, says, Let's just get <laughs> At some point, the niece grabs the bat, he's poking her dad. Dad takes the bat away.
5: They decide to leave. Everyone leaves. Uh, there's a son, too, a younger son. Her son, he's not here either.
2: So, wife who lives here, her daughter, her son, they all leave. Her brother staying here visiting, and the husband. They get into it. He's like, I just,
5: he got. He says they got in an argument. Husband hit him in the head with a bat. Brother, brother says, that goes to his room, grabs his gun, his own gun, goes back out, doesn't stay in the room, doesn't lock the door, doesn't call husband. Goes back out, confronts him, says, drop the bat. The guy just drops the bat. He says he shoots him. Goes back into his room, puts his gun away, grabs his phone, cleans his head up, calls nine
0: um do you guys have any thoughts about these recordings
1: yeah like Lori's demeanor is so troubling or at least to me if i was the police officer you know she's laughing and just doesn't sound like someone whose brother just killed her ex-husband i mean even though it is her ex-husband like someone was shot in her home with her kids present so it's just not really the demeanor that you would expect from somebody who was legitimately innocent or sad about the situation
6: yeah, I I agree with AJ. Um, going back to the nine one one call, like where Alex is calling nine one one, he just seems so calm and like cool. I just don't understand like how he could be so, just so like, just so calm. And Lori just like laughing it off, like nothing happened. I don't know. It's just all very, just very eerie.
1: Yeah, in the in the nine one one tape of Alex, like what stuck out to me the most was when he's saying oh he's not breathing and then the operator is saying oh can you do cpr and he just seems adamant like he doesn't want to do it um he doesn't want to help charles at all um which is obviously a red flag for me like if you were i don't know it just doesn't it was just so weird to me when i heard it for the first time
6: yeah same like i know everybody reacts to like situations differently but to me he just just doesn't seem like he cares he obviously doesn't want Chow is alive because if child's alive then he knows things so why would he help him
0: yeah i agree that both of their behavior during all this is super weird like yeah like alex is way too calm it seems and Lori is you know kind of just way too happy for what is happening in her house at the moment so now we're getting into the time where Lori starts to do the suspicious things that uh, we were talking about earlier in regard to preparing the kids to go missing so people really wouldn't wonder where they were she sells jj's service dog contacts the school about homeschooling uh, gets a storage locker and things like that now it is october of 2019 and the kids still have not even been reported missing at this point point. and chad daybell's wife is found dead on october 19th his wife tammy and chad had been married since 1990 and they had five kids together Originally, her death is ruled um, as a death from natural causes, but her body was later exhumed in December of 2019, and they are now treating it as suspicious. So Tammy doesn't really come up a lot in this case. She was mentioned around the time when JJ was last seen alive, and as AJ mentioned with that text with Chad about the new grave in the yard maybe she was onto them. Maybe she knew something awful was happening or had happened and they just had to get rid of her because of that. Just two weeks after Tammy's death, Chad and Lori are married. Photos of them happy in Hawaii, you know, newlyweds on their honeymoon. And this is just another example of Lori showing absolutely no remorse or sadness of any kind for all the deaths that are happening around her. And it's just really not a good look, especially for someone that has missing kids. In November, they apply for a rental home, stating that they are a clean couple with no kids. And this is when people are starting to notice what's going on and the kids are reported missing as we explained earlier. So we're all caught up except for one more thing. Um, Alex Cox is found unresponsive in his home on December 12th of 2019 and he later died of what was reported as natural causes. The man who talks to the police, his name was Joseph Lopez, and he claims that he didn't know Alex's last name, and that it was his mother's boyfriend, but later it's revealed that Alex actually married Joseph's mother, Zaluma Pastenas, and he actually changed his last name to her last name. So, I mean, that's super odd in itself. Whether any of this is related, we don't really know, and it is kind of an interesting detail as they did get married suddenly in Las Vegas and the chapel owner says that it was all business, no emotion it lasted only eight minutes, the, the wedding, and so what comes to mind to me for this is not having to testify against your spouse in court, so maybe he was kind of securing himself that safety by marrying her, because maybe she knew something that he didn't want to get out Now it's January of 2020, and Steph is going to take it from here.
6: I'm going to take you to January 26th. This is the day when Chad and Lori were found vacationing in Hawaii and questioned by the police. So they had a search warrant to search their car, and they unfortunately found no evidence that JJ or Tylee were ever in the car or with Chad and Lori at the time. When the FBI asked Lori where her children were, she didn't really give them an answer. She kind of just beat around the bush, said they were safe, but she wouldn't give the location. She didn't really seem too concerned about their whereabouts. The fact that she didn't really seem to care that her children were missing and had no really, really deep concerns for them posed quite a bit of red flags for the FBI. So at the time, Lori was given five days, so on January 30th, to produce her children, if she could not produce her children at this given time, she would be faced with criminal charges. So, as you probably can guess, January 30th came and Lori had missed her court date and she did not produce her children. And this was not okay with, for the FBI, this is when they started really opening up the investigation into what happened to Tylee and, and um, JJ. So, Lori was arrested, and since she was in Hawaii at the time, she was extradited back to uh, Idaho, and of course, Chad was by her side the whole entire time, he didn't seem too worried, he just seemed cool and collective, so he was there for moral support, I guess. Uh, So, they did it, they started the open investigation, and Lori was charged with two felony counts of desertion of a child, three misdemeanors resisting and obstructing an officer, solicitation of a crime and contempt. And the contempt stemmed from ignoring her court order. Um, Her bail hearing was scheduled for uh, February 2020. And at her hearing, her bail was set at $5 million. Before Chad and Lori had left for Hawaii, they were seen given a bunch of donations to a Goodwill. And the police wanted to know about these items that were given away. So they asked a witness who worked at the Goodwill store and asked if they knew any about any of the items that were that were brought in. But unfortunately, the witness couldn't provide any detailed information as there was so much coming in that day. So that lead kind of went to a dead end. Um, What do you guys think about this whole like them being arrested in Hawaii and them not really seeming seeming to care about their about the missing children?
1: Well, I remember when it was first on the news and everything, like, I feel like I knew, like, immediately that day with the Friday that I first saw it that she was guilty, like, just based on her demeanor and, like, the fact that she's avoiding it and putting up a big fight about not producing her children. Like, obviously, she's hiding something. You know, you're not reluctant to bring your children in that are missing if they're actually still alive or they're with you and you know where they are. I don't know. I just... I knew right away, or at least suspected right away.
0: And yeah, this whole like, oh, you have five days to produce your kids. I feel just like if you if he doesn't tell you right now where they are, like it should be it's over now, like you're coming with us because obviously there's something going on, like this whole waiting for five days is just I don't know, it just seems kind of crazy. And I remember thinking that at the time, too.
6: Yeah, like five days, you think would be enough time for someone to produce their children if they knew where they were at the time. And to
0: me, she- Well, yeah, it, it, would, it should only take a second. Where are your kids? Here they are. Okay, like, it shouldn't be like, okay, you have five days to figure out where your kids are and tell us. Like, you should know exactly
6: where they are, who they're with, the phone number, the address. Like, it, it, it shouldn't take five days. Like, I totally agree. Like, I don't know why they give her, gave her five days. Like, they should have gave her, like, a minute <laughs> to, like, tell her where her kids are. And if she couldn't provide an answer, then she'd have been arrested that day.
1: Well, she had already had when, and like she had already had like a month before that, like November. They were looking for her initi- looking for the kids initially. Like she had since November. This is January. She's already had two months. Why give her five more days? Like to me, that's just so crazy.
6: And for her to take off vacationing in Hawaii after, she, after she's known she's been questioned by the police of where her kids are, that just seems too suspicious to me. So during Lori's preliminary hearing, she had appointed three attorneys. And about halfway through her hearing, two of her attorneys just withdrew themselves from the case. So that just left one lawyer, Mark Means. And while the hearing was going on, Mark also requested that the judge recuse himself from the case. And for some undisclosed reasons, the judge grants the request and recuses himself. I'm not quite sure. I've never really heard of a judge recusing themselves from a case I don't know if that has to, like if he had any prior information or he knew something that he shouldn't have or I don't know have you guys have, have heard anything like anything about judges accusing themselves from a cases like this especially a high profile case
0: no the only thing i can think of is maybe they knew in the past that he you know like i'm just thinking of like the their religious beliefs maybe he was like this the kind of judge that like, in the past didn't have sympathy for, you know, kind of these crazy religious cults. So they thought that maybe they wouldn't have a chance because they knew his past with that kind of thing. That's the only thing I can really think of.
6: Yeah, I never actually thought about that. But yeah, that that would make sense. He must have... I, I must... know,
0: But I mean, I know that like judges, they can't have like their own thoughts and prejudices into their judgment. But maybe there was a similar case that he looked at in the past and he, you know, didn't have any forgiveness at all.
6: So also during the preliminary hearing, the police were trying to track down any leads on the witnesses who might have been at Yellowstone Park on the day Tylee was last seen. They wanted to see if anybody saw anything suspicious, but no one had come forward and there was no lead and it just went to a dead end. April 7th, 2020, Mark Means, Lori's attorney, had filed a motion of discovery. So he requested the autopsy and to- toxicology of Lori's hu- two husbands, her brother, and Tammy Daybell. All of those documents were granted except for the autopsy of Tammy Daybell because at the time there was no autopsy done or any information that was made public about that. So also to know that like, I'm not really sure why he requested all of these. Maybe he was trying to f- find some discrepancies in the police interviews or some misinformation I think that's the only reason why he wanted all those documents to be handed over to him
0: yeah and I'm curious about like the outcomes of these other autopsies from these people that died Mm -hmm. of natural causes there seems to be quite a few of them that,
6: that happened you know prematurely yeah, exactly. So maybe he was trying to find out more information on
1: that. Like, what are the chances of that many people in the same family dying of natural causes within this short amount of time? Like, I feel like that's a very, very odd coincidence.
6: Yeah, definitely some red flags going up there. So he also noticed that there was an email that Chad had sent Lori that was made public. And it basically, this email was that Lori just wanted a, to look into her family history... Like a family tree sourcing of uh, This email is really odd to me. I don't know. It might have to, something to do with her religion. She wanted to see what her ancestors were like and stuff. But I don't really know how this pertains to the case. But
0: I think it could have something to do with maybe a pattern of mental health in her family. If she's trying to use that as um, part of her defense. To see that it depends yeah, in her family. Yeah, that,
6: that's, that could be the case too. But yeah, that's interesting for sure. So there's a lot of things going on during this case during this hearing. For Lori's attorneys, it seems like they're trying to get as much information and evidence as they can to help Lori, but things aren't really looking that well for her at this point. While Lori was waiting the outcome of her preliminary hearing, Chad Daybell was arrested on felony charges on June 9th, after human human's remains were found on his property. And this search stemmed from the police coming to their house and he, they wanted a search warrant done on the property and some computer data that was taken from the house so as they were doing their continuing to search their property which was pretty a pretty lengthy search radius it was quite a big yard um it took them a day actually find some evidence of human remains and on june 10th the bodies of JJ and Tally Ryan were identified. After the bodies were found, Chad and L- Lori's demeanor did not change. They seemed- they just seemed like they didn't care. Kind of like, I don't know, it, I just- to me when I was watching a- uh, one of their videos in court that it just- they just seemed so cold-hearted and just very, like, creepy to me. Anyways, I don't know. That was just my thought on that. Um, but going back to the bodies, they were identified by Brandon Boudreaux. There is a video I'm going to play. It's Special Agent Stephen Daniels, and he's describing the, when he discovered the bodies, what type of condition they were in, and how they were found, and what actually went on during the search. I am going to warn you that this is very it is very disturbing and very hard to listen to. So, listen to discretion is advised.
2: Once we saw what appeared to be the black garbage bag, um, we needed to kind of verify, do we have human remains here? And so it kind of fell upon me to get in there. And I took a razor blade and I made a cut to this garbage bag. Um, Prior to making the cut on the garbage bag, I got in there with my hands and I just kind of removed the dirt around the object and the object was just a you know oval shaped object and the plastic bag was just tight tightly wrapped you know tightly against this oval shape and to me it just felt like the shape of a skull Uh, can you describe what you see on states exhibit 24 that was the part of that black plastic that we initially saw and then once i made the cut through the black Plastic bag, uh, a white plastic bag was underneath, and the white plastic bag, you know, appeared to me to be a possible white garbage bag with diamond-shaped um, texture to it. Okay, and what did you do once you found that? So, when on on the diamond uh, or on the white plastic bag underneath, I pulled that one up, and I made a similar cut with the razor blade. And then as I cut through the white plastic, that's when the, you know, possible human hair started coming out onto my hands. And, and that was the point where we determined this is human remains. Okay. And, and what did you do after that? And then after that, the rest of the team continued the excavation of the grave. And then eventually we uncovered the entire uh, body that was wrapped in this black plastic bag with a lot of duct tape, you know, intermingled. Okay. Agent, do you recognize States Exhibit 25? I do. Uh, Can you describe for the court what you see in States Exhibit 25? This is kind of the overall photo of what came to be known for us as the Pet cemetery. And in this photo, you can see that statue of the dog. And then right in front of that statue, there was what I would call an area that looked like it was a grave. And then near that grave, there was what I would say were maybe two or three, maybe besides that one, maybe two other areas that looked like they could have been graves to me. Um, I imagined these graves since it was a pet cemetery or we thought pets were buried here based off a text message. We eventually, the next significant thing is we hit a, a bone, a bone, you know, sticking out of the ground and it kind of leads into some, uh, flesh. And at the time we, our anthropologists still can't make a determination if that's animal or human. And so the team starts trying to excavate, whatever this is and then eventually we're able to excavate a few pieces the major piece ends up being a pelvic piece exhibit 27 is being shown to the witness agent do you recognize exhibit 27 i do what is it that shows burial site number two we find you know this melted green bucket and then to the bottom the side of that green bucket we eventually find a skull and then to the side of that skull we find a mandible with some teeth
6: so yeah after watching that it's so disturbing how what they, the evidence they found and what they, like, how the bodies were discovered. Like, I can't even imagine what the kids were going through at the time. Like, do you guys have any thoughts? Yeah, it's really disturbing to think that
0: the parents, like, planned and executed this.
1: Yeah, it's pretty terrible. You just, you know, you can't help but think about... Like, what kind of person would do this? And, you know, you hear him describing that there's duct tape on JJ's body and everything. And it's like, so obviously he was, you know, alive when they put the duct tape on him. And it's just like for someone's own mother to like duct tape her child and kill him somehow. And then put him in this like shallow grave in the backyard of her partner's house. Like, to me, it's just so vile that somebody would be able to do that. And... Yeah, like, hearing him describe it in that audio clip is just, yeah, it's, it's crazy.
6: It gives me the, like, chills. And, like, I can't even, I, I don't even, I can't imagine, I don't really want to imagine what, what they went through because it's just horrible. And for Larry and Kay Woodcock, like, to hear this in court is just devastating for them. They can, it's just, I, to find out, like, what happened and the state they were in. I feel so bad for them. Lori was slapped with two new charges and these charges were conspiracy to destroy, alter, and conceal evidence. And I'm actually pretty surprised that nobody to this point has been charged with murder. Like, I don't know how they aren't charged with murder at the po- this point.
1: Yeah, I just think it's bizarre that they wouldn't have been charged immediately. Like, the bodies were found on Chad's property, and then when you corroborate that with, like, the cell phone records that I talked about earlier of Alex Cox and coinciding with those days when they were last seen, to me, that would be enough to kind of of give them those murder charges. So the fact that it's still ongoing and still there isn't an official murder charge as of this recording is pretty wild considering that the bodies were found in June. So now we're looking at, you know, seven, eight months ago that the bodies were found with some pretty hard evidence to point towards Laurie and Chad and there still haven't been official murder charges like laid against either one of them. Is pretty pretty interesting and I'm not really sure why it's taking so long and I mean I don't really know like the intricacies of the legal system and I'm sure there's a lot of legal stuff happening regarding that but it's just that did strike me as odd.
6: So Chad ac- uh, appeared in court via Zoom. His bail was set at $1 million. And also to note that on July 18th, 2020, the judge had made changes to Lori's bail and it was 150 k so 50 k for each misdemeanor charge. And the $1 million bail in Fremont County still stands. Different states means different... Amount of bail bonds because where she was arrested in Hawaii and then brought to Idaho. That's why her she has two different bails, one set at one hundred and fifty k and the other set at one million. And the jury trial was set to begin in January twenty twenty one. Going back to the deaths of Lori's two children, Lori's two husbands, and her brother Alex. It just makes you stop and think. Like, are all these deaths just so convenient? Like, there's so many deaths in one family that are just seem too suspicious and just convenient to them. So yeah, I'm. I just like. Do you guys feel like like that? Like, do you feel there's just so many different scenarios that could be played out?
0: Yeah, I definitely think the other deaths, like the natural cause deaths um, are definitely suspicious and they do seem a little bit too convenient. As for the lack of murder charges, I feel that you know, the cops always know more than they release and maybe they think that, you know, Alex actually was the main mm-hmm. um, perpetrator in this case. Maybe he actually did kill the kids so the other two didn't actually commit the murders. However, I feel like they were involved somehow in in the planning or they knew about it afterwards, they definitely went along with it. So I feel like they should be held accountable.
6: Because of the coronavirus pandemic, their trial was supposed to start in January, but it got pushed until July of this year, of 2021. So their trial has not begun yet. Um, The only new information that has come out since the summer was that their trials will be combined so it'll just be one trial with the two of them this uh was a choice of their defense attorney and i'm not sure if like combining them is a, a good idea i don't like i don't know the logistics around that like i don't know why they would be tried together just because they're married that doesn't always mean you'd be tried together like that just seemed really it kind of shocked me actually to know they they weren't being tried separately, but together. Do you know any more information about that? Like, is there would there be a reason why they'd combine them?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think that happens very often, and I feel like maybe, maybe it's because they would have the same evidence in both cases, and they've already both agreed that they're not going to testify against each other. So there's not that, mm-hmm. you know, aspect of it. So there's no point in putting them separately because there's not going to be any different information coming out of both of those trials. But yeah, yeah but I mean, if they both if they're both found not guilty then they're both off if they did it separately at least maybe one of them could go to jail but yeah it's kind of risky
6: at the same time yeah like i think it's super like super risky for the defense to combine the trials because maybe he's hoping that if they do are are found not guilty then they both will get off which is kind of scary to think if actually if they do if they are found not guilty somehow that they could just be free in the world and i don't know just it's just it's crazy
0: I feel like they had to be found guilty of something and go to jail for a good amount of time. Yeah, if it's not murder, then you know I, I feel like it ha- there definitely is something there. It
6: like, have to be like conspiracy to murder type. Of thing. If if yeah, they come back, accessory, they, accessory to murder or, or you know after the fact. Yeah, so if if they convinced Alex, her brother, to do it, then he's the murderer. But he they still had their hands. In the part of it as well,
0: yeah. And they were buried okay. in, you know, in, Chad, in Chad's yard. So he, there's no way he didn't know about it. So no I'm problem. wondering
6: if the pet cemetery they found, like when they dug up the stuff, they also found like dogs and like a cat and stuff like that. So it's kind of like just like a sick scenario all around.
0: I wonder if they did find that raccoon that Chad had talked about.
6: Oh like, yeah, because
0: if I mean, not, then obviously he was he lied. Yeah. Which is obviously that he obviously did, but
6: maybe there was some
0: truth to that. I don't know. Maybe.
6: And either way, and we'll never we'll never know the whole truth because half the people that know the truth are no longer with us.
0: Yeah, like I feel like, and I feel like that's why it's it's because they knew. Yeah,
6: it's only Chad and Lori, and they're sure as hell not going to tell us. Yeah, what the truth is because why would they? Yeah, so let's cut the quite the case quite the wild case
1: yeah i agree with everything you guys were saying um it's definitely an interesting case and i don't think you know it's going to be a very hard time for them to come up with a defense that is believable to me um just based on everything that you know we've discussed and everything that's out there about the case it's going to be tough for them but yeah i agree that um it's definitely an interesting case and because it's still ongoing like it's still going to be a while before we actually see any like what the outcome of it is but um we're going to be watching it closely and you know we can update you you guys as as it happens because um, you know i know that we're all interested to find out where it, where it all ends up
0: yeah as things happen we'll try and maybe keep everybody updated about it and hopefully we
6: get a good outcome yeah, hopefully, for
1: sure. So that does it for this episode of Crime Family. We thank you so much for listening in. If you like what you hear, please make sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast streaming app. That way you're notified as soon as we release a new episode. The amazing music throughout our podcast is done by the awesome Tim Monis. You can find him on Instagram at Tim Monis. You can also find us on Instagram at Crime Family Podcast and on Twitter at Crime Family Pod so we can't wait until the next episode and we hope you'll join us then thank you so much take care